Welcome to Podcast Society Presents, I'm Joe Mayo. This is a recording of an interview that we did with the amazing Dan and Andy from the podcast No Such Thing as a Fish, done live over Zoom with our members. As it was the first Zoom recording we'd done at the time, the audio quality is choppy at a couple of points, but it'll be back up to standard for next time, where I'll be talking to the comedian John Luke Roberts. But without further ado... Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? That's Andy. That's Dan. <laughs> Let's begin. Uh, Andy and I are QI elves, and we both worked for QI for a long time now it, at different times. I, I started before Andy did, and I left just as he arrived, and then I came back in 2014, and that was the first time the two of us properly worked together. And within about six months, we started Fish, and it's sort of been sort of us traveling the world together ever since, really. Um, yeah, yeah. Literally, yeah. Yeah, with um, with um, James Harkin and Anna Tajinsky, who are the other two members of the podcast, I guess, sort of main members of it. So, yeah, we started. Yeah. God damn, did it? We're only back in 2014. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. I know, weird. So I started with QI in 2005, I think. Such a long time ago. Such a weird way to say 2005 as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so... It, on the off chance that anyone doesn't know, although I doubt it, can you explain No Such Thing as a Fish? Yeah, um, No Such Thing as a Fish is a podcast where every week four of us who work for QI sit around a table in these COVID times sitting on Zoom and we each week bring our favourite fact that we've learned that week to the table and we just talk about that fact. So we each present the headline as it were. And before we do the recording, each of us goes away with the headline fact and we research our own stuff about it, but we don't tell each other what we found. So we get to the table and it's a proper conversation, but it's an informed conversation because we've obviously got our notes and so on in front of us. And yeah, it's just four facts. If you don't like three of them, hopefully you like one. That's the kind of philosophy of it. A hit rate um, we aim for, yeah. 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 <laughs> So how did, how did the, the podcast come about to begin with? I was hoping it would be a good one for me to answer, but I, I'm pretty sure it was Dan's idea, actually. <laughs> that's another one he should take on. I'll do his version of events, which is that he thought of it and, um, you know, had to kind of rope us all in. Um, how did it start? It, Dan and James were looking for something to do, really. That makes it sound very tragic, which it is. Um, they wanted to... The, the, they were sitting in the front office at QI, which is where we have a kind of meeting table and meeting room. And they were just thinking of lots of different formats uh, for shows they wanted to make. And podcasting was not as huge as it is now, I think it's fair to say. It was about six months before Serial came out uh, yeah. that our first episode happened, which was a huge, you know, fluke of luck for us because I think it meant we had maybe 25 or 30 episodes in the bag. Um, and so many people came to podcasting through Serial that uh, that was a big help in the early days. But yeah, Dan and James thought of it. We tried the format loads of different times and then eventually settled on a really, really simple version of it, which Dan just described the four of us with. What, did, what kind of formats did you start off with? There was lots of, I think the initial thing that we did was, um, we knew we wanted it to be about conversation in the office. And I think it took a while for us to realize that it shouldn't be, and this is something I think is generally a bit of good advice for anyone if they're ever working for a company that does a thing and they want to do a spin-off podcast. 
um, which is the position we're in, try and come up with something that sits on its own, that doesn't need to be associated with the bigger show. So we wanted to think of something that just felt like, I don't know what QI is, but I can press play on this and it works absolutely fine. And so I, initially what it was is, why don't you send us in your questions? And we put it out on Twitter sort of saying, you know, if you've got a question, send it to us and we'll try and answer it. And the issue with it initially was all these questions that came in were really deep questions. You know, what's the meaning of life? What is, what is death? And, and we kind of, we found ourselves trying it out and being a bit embarrassed because suddenly it put us in a position of being learned wizards. We were sort of meant to come across as these factual, you know, the elves, you know, who know everything. Yeah. And we realized that was the wrong way around. What we need to do is arrive at a table and say, hey, I just found this out. I had no knowledge about this before. And I think it was during, actually, I know it was, it was during one run through, which was me, Andy, Anna, and I think Alex or Anne. So two of the other elves who were on it. And um, it was a conversation, no, and J sorry, James was there. And it was a conversation about, it was a question about Ferris wheels. And we all went away and accidentally started re researching the history of Ferris wheels because we just found that so interesting. And I remember after that conversation going, oh, shit, that's the idea there. We just discuss interesting things and we, and we jump off one headline interestingness. And it, but it, yeah. as Andy says, it took a long time for us to get there. And if anyone ever goes back to, if they listen to the show and can be bothered, the very first episode, the pilot, um, was an episode that I edited together from about seven different shows. It's basically a best of of the pilots was our pilot. And so even within a section about a different subject, there were sections taken from a completely different subject, but they happened, yeah, they happened to be linked by a keyword. So someone say, oh, by the way, you mentioned King Arthur or you mentioned whatever in it. And I just slotted that in. Um, oh, and wow. as a result, Andy doesn't have a fact in the very first show. <laughs> But you, you have ended up doing some version of the question and answer thing now with the Y workshop as well, which is slightly different to Fish. Yeah, that's in fact, uh, tomorrow the new book comes out, which is called Funny You Should Ask, which is, that's been a bit of a roller coaster, hasn't it, Andy? It's sort of just every Wednesday we're doing these Y workshops and then they went, let's do a book. Yeah, but it's been a roller coaster I haven't been on. So that's, you know, <laughs> I've been watching the roller coaster going by thinking, that looks stressful. Why you're um, on that roller coaster? Are you know? Well, yeah, we all we all wrote about ten percent of the book, I'd say, but I haven't been involved in you know. The series. Oh, I wrote like one percent. I definitely wrote nothing <laughs> in that book. Yeah, but no, that was a, that is an attempt to be slightly more. Well, it's not a conscious attempt to be more democratic with our format. It just so happens that it we instead of saying, we wait till you find out this thing about slugs. We're just saying, <laughs> what do you want to know? And someone will say, t what's the truth about slugs? And we'll we'll try and. That would be a terrible. That would be a that would be a really tough one. Yeah, that's really broad. Might send that in next week. <laughs> Why does a slug curl up and die if you put salt on it? And then we'll have to find out the chemicals yeah. involved or whatever it is. Yes. Yeah, I had to do it this morning. This Y workshop thing, and my question was, why do we have two nostrils? And it's really fun looking into that kind of stuff. The first thing that was quite fun to find out is why we have a nose, which is effectively it's like a an evolved umbrella. You know, so we can breathe when it rains, which is amazing. You know, where, you know, if the nostrils were that way, that we would drown. Um, but the, <laughs> this, this is crazy with, with your nostrils. The reason we have two is they like eyes for depth of perception and for echolocation with our ears. 
with your nostrils, um, it's, for, it's for sort of analyzing smell. So every bit of the day, you have one nostril that's doing all the work while the other one is lazing about. And I, I found out it's a really interesting experiment. If everyone puts their thumb over one nostril and suck in and then do it over the next, you'll notice probably most people will notice that they have one that takes in air a lot quicker while the other one feels a bit more congested. And that's because that's called the nasal cycle. So it does all the work on, let's say, the left nostril. And then a few hours later, it swaps over and your other <laughs> nostril gets going while the other one has a rest. It's crazy. I think Love you had a, a fact on the show once about, um, about, I think it was ninjas hiding underwater and they would time how long they were underwater because it's a regular interval at which the nostrils change. Oh, yeah. Like that. Yes. A damn, a damn fact. <laughs> <laughs> As we call them, yeah. That is, the, the interesting thing about the Y Workshop is, I, and the reason I think it's, uh, don't tell Zoe Bull, a slightly less good format, is that it's much harder to get uh, organic conversation going. It's, it's, trickier, it's trickier over Zoom and over the phone because you're able to say a couple of things each. And obviously, Zoe is the ringmaster and she's trying to keep the, the radio show going, which is really important. And mm -hmm. um, But when we've, the, the really nice thing about podcasting as a format is that we can, you know, record as long as we like and we can be pretty organic with the things we're talking about yeah. and the conversation that we choose to keep. So it's, that's just one of the advantages. When it comes to the research, a lot of people want to know how it is that you find all of these endless facts every week. Uh, is it just because you're reading lots of different stuff? Are there certain places you go to to look? How do you come up with these these facts every time? Well, I think everyone's got their sources that they like to use, especially. And there, are, I mean, we couldn't we couldn't make the show if there weren't obviously tens of thousands of brilliant writers and journalists and researchers and historians and archaeologists and all these people digging these things up. So really, we are just kind of telling people about them. Yeah, everyone has their own favorite sources though. Anna loves the British newspaper archive. Um, I tend to do a big trawl through about a dozen different uh, modern news websites, as it were. Dan, I don't know where he goes. Take it up. Yeah, Dan, uh, <laughs> James has, he has an RSS feed that is just absolutely pummeled every second. It's like getting in <laughs> just like bing 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 um anna's one for me is the most annoying because she always uses this british archive and it's always just the sort of the photo of the newspaper back from the 1800s yeah and you know you you really want to read the full story of what you're the person on the show is talking about and it's just so hard reading these fucking newspapers <laughs> <laughs> I try to read this tiny font so I never I really struggle with Anna's facts a lot just for that pure reason also do you I guys have, have do you have particular favorite areas that you like to go to 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 research like particular topics yes yeah. but weirdly I think we always have to try and act against type so everyone has a thing they naturally go to Dan loves going to kind of crypto zoology whether it's Nessie or the Yeti or whatever I love going to uh, the 18th century and parachuting animals in the Second World War. That's a huge feel for me. But the nice thing about the podcast is we're all forced out of our comfort zones. If we were only doing stuff about this, it would, I think, become pretty tedious. Uh, or it would, not tedious, but it would be a much more specialist podcast than 
um, than we have at the moment. I think one of the reasons people tend to like it is that there is a very broad range of stuff you're going to hear about each week. Yeah, I like I love um, I love historical characters. I love authors. My favorite one when you find a great author fact, you know. Um, there's something about it where you can play with the imagery. It's my favorite bit of the podcast is when you start talking about someone and in the conversation between the four of us, we've built up a completely alternative character of who that person was. And we, we play out a scene uh, weirdly, like it's like we're scripting an improv scene, which is great having Andy for, because that's what he does uh, for a lot of the time. He's an improv performer. I'm just wondering, Dan, are you thinking of George Eliot's massive hand? Yeah, I am. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> any if there are any English students in um, George Eliot, yeah. obviously you will know about. But she, one of the facts we did qu- quite recently uh, was that George Eliot had one huge hand because <laughs> and one normal size hand. This is what but she a secret, a secret massive hand because <laughs> she used to work <laughs> as a as a dairy maid and she was churning butter kind of all day every day and obviously use your dominant hand to do more of that so she just ended up with one kind of freakish hold <laughs> and, and it was said to be so big that when she was walking it would weigh down her side oh, so she walked slightly lopsided that's what they said that's what this neighbor said and there was a big thing where anyone who run, wanted to write an official biography of her going forward after her death they had to agree with the family that they would not mention the massive hand because otherwise they wouldn't get the deal <laughs> that was the stipulation in the contract that's so amazing oh. yeah it's just wonderful when you discover something like that and then you discover a whole history of this one topic like a thread that you could write basically a book on you know george Eliot's massive hand could be a whole book where you could find sources where people try to publish it where the interview with the neighbor <laughs> can you have a massive hand that size you know it's it's so fun that that's we, we barely yeah. talked about her career it was just the hand that's great so obviously with fish you've you've done the podcast for six years now coming up to seven years now mm. um but in the course of that, you've taken it to a lot of other places because you've toured around the world, including Sydney Opera House, and you've ha- you've got three books, and now you've got the Y Workshop as well, and you've also had the TV show as well, No Such Thing as the News. How have you found adapting it into other formats? Have any of them particularly worked well or badly? How, how do you find the live shows? I think they've all worked badly. Um... <laughs> 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 in, in comparison to fish is what I'm yeah. saying is in comparison to the podcast all of them bring you into contact with other people who you then have to work with I think the really joyful thing is that the podcast is most is the four of us who are making pretty much every call um yeah which is really nice and we are co-producing it as well as co-presenting it um yeah and I mean, all of the other stuff has been fun. Like the TV show was amazing fun to make and the books have been incredible to write as well. Um, I just think there's something uniquely liberating about doing the podcast where no one can stop you uh, making it. Yeah. Whereas it turns out people can stop you making a BBC Two uh, yes. topical news show <laughs> like, with ease. Yeah. Uh, Dan, is that fair? 
that's totally fair it's um yeah that's the best thing the best thing is the podcast always um even if the live show is still the podcast it doesn't compare to just sitting in a room with the four of us going for it and no one no one knows what we're going to say it goes out no one in the company has to look over it it's it's just completely our thing um the tv show though was exhilarating i particularly am having a sort of a lot of memories of it because of the upcoming american election because we were we were on in the lead up to in our we did sort of two series which i guess you would count as one it was sort of one series with a big break in between and it got recommissioned but it sort of felt like it was five episodes i think and then a break and then five more episodes or seven or something like that and um the first half we had to do it when brexit was just happening when the big vote was happening and then the second half was the u.s election and we actually got to make a show the night or rather the day that trump won the presidency so we recorded that night and then at 2 or 3 a.m or whatever it was is when trump got announced and then the show went out that night at at 9 p.m or 10 p.m and that was extremely exhilarating because we had to make a show without knowing a result so therefore we had to make a decision do we not do a show about it at all or do we do two shows, one where Hillary's won and one where <laughs> Trump's won? And that's what we did. We yeah. recorded two shows. Wow. Now, the only thing you need to bear in mind about this is the show that we did is much like the podcast. We weren't really talking about the big, big news. We were talking about all the interesting nuggets that sat underneath it. And um, so what happened was, and this was the wonderful thing, it's a, I think quite a unique thing that we got to do with the TV show is that we like the podcast, we didn't tell anyone what our facts were until we were about to make the show, including our producers. It was, we ran it the same way and we edited it ourselves. So we would record it and then two of us, me and Anna would get in a cab, drive from Greenwich all the way to Soho and then sit up the entire night editing the whole thing. And the reason that the presidency one was exhilarating was we had to make a call once we got to the edit, who was gonna win? And we said, it's right. obviously Hillary. So Which we- everyone was calling at the time. Everyone thought- Which everyone was calling. Several hours of the night, yeah. Yeah, so we, we edited a Hillary win and at 4 a.m. or 3 a.m. or whenever it was, the news came through and we had to start from scratch and re-edit the whole show for a Trump win. It was wow. devastating, but fuck, it was exhilarating. And when it went out, I think it was the best episode that we did of that show. And, we, and what a prime time, you know, you know, the evening of a new president, as controversial as Trump being, getting half an hour on TV to talk facts and dork out. Was yeah, wow. Really special. That's amazing, yeah. So how's the, how has Fish changed, do you think, over the years of doing it? Um, whether in the dynamic that you have or, or the format of the show at all? Um, well, we used to only have one microphone and now we have four. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that was a big change that happened about 50 episodes in. Yeah. yeah. And I think a change for the better. I don't know what, maybe I'm putting words in Dan's mouth here, but I think that improved it. Yeah, um, the episodes are longer, which Andy hates. I do, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they should be no longer, ideally, than an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think if you can't <laughs> play it in that long or less time, then, you know. There is that one episode that's the exact same amount of time as the world record for how long a breath is held for. Yeah, that's, that's right. a good one. 
and it's about 27 minutes. Um, yeah. It's the longest anyone's ever held their breath. I can't remember the crazy circumstance they did it under. But um, You guys are yeah. rushing to do it. And then I remember some people were getting annoyed on Twitter because because of the ad breaks, it made it slightly too long. Mm. And, and it pushed it. And, and I remember James saying on Twitter, but without the ad breaks, it is okay. It's correct. <laughs> The show's audience is generally nice people who like facts. So we don't, yeah. you know, Twitter is a, an unbelievably scary place. But <laughs> we have, we, we're okay. We tend to do okay, don't we, on Twitter? We don't get the kind of negativity that I think a lot of shows do. I don't know why. I guess, as Andy's saying, we have a nice audience. This week, we've got a bit of flack because James revealed the ending of Anna Karenina. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And spoiler alerted a novel that's hundred and twenty something years old. But uh we've had a lot of flack for that this week. So how how has it been with recording in Zoom? Because that's obviously the big change that's happened for a lot of podcasts recently. Um have has it interrupted the show much or has it let you do more in some ways? Because there are some episodes where you mention experiments and, and that kind of thing, and then you've gone and got stuff from your houses to <laughs> to try it out. Has it? Has it been, been? It's been all right. It's. I think we were concerned that the magic would. Um, what, what little magic we have left <laughs> after six and a half years together in the same room would would vanish somehow over the um, over the Zoom link. That hasn't. Well, I don't think it's happened. Um, the the only thing we were concerned about, well the other thing I was concerned about is the length of time between even the fraction of a second extra between saying something and that joke getting to someone else them responding to your joke you responding to theirs yeah just adds a little bit of lag which makes it I thought might make it harder to achieve genuine comedy lift off when we're talking about something really funny but yeah. uh, it turns out the internet is very good these days and I don't think that has happened actually Dan you might disagree. No, I think I think I think it's great. I really enjoy it. I really um, there is something quite. It's nice being in the room with the guys, but actually, there's also something quite nice about just having this space to yourself. I don't know why. It, and I I'm in a slightly different position in that for the last three years, I do a, another podcast um, with my buddies Reese and Buttons called The Cryptid Factor, and we've had to do that entirely over Zoom for the last three years. So I've always been fine with it. I always knew it would be okay if we ever tried it out with fish. We just never had a reason to uh, to try it out. But I mean, the, the exciting thing is, should something happen whereby, you know, Anna's married to an Australian, I'm an Australian, um, who knows, Andy might suddenly want to move to Barcelona. Australia. I don't know. Like, you know, if we do that, the show's not dead. And that, that I think that was a concern before. It was sort of, Oh, if one of us leaves, either it's just we have to replace you or it stops as a show. And now we know that we can be in all the different parts of the planet and still make it work. So that's pretty cool. But who is going to be the first to leave then? Do you mean leave the actual podcast? Yeah. Oh, you. Definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about it virtually every week. Uh, keep you on your toes. <laughs> um, so there's uh, a few questions that we've got from some of the people who are other people who are in this call. Amy, I believe, wanted to know something. Oh, uh, whether you guys 
how much you know about what the other person has chosen but you already said it's just like um you pick you have an overall topic and then but do you not do you not accidentally bring the same facts like ever we do we do actually it's worth saying as well one one other thing that we do is if we send a fact sometimes that can go in any direction particularly if it's a fact where it's like in World War II, there was a special unit that trained pigs to do um, special decoy missions with guns. And so you could look <laughs> at that and go, all right, I can start researching pigs in World War II. I can, I can research um, general animals with guns. I can research, there's so many different things with that, within that single sentence. So we sometimes say to each other why don't we go down the line of these two subjects within this so that we don't have a a crazy mashup of stuff and then the other thing is it's often really good when we double up on the material because it means the story can be told a lot better it's not monologuing you can bounce and and allow for someone to jump in with the next detail and it means that the voices are a conversation there's also there's a, a where if someone has if, the, if there's almost nothing on the internet or you know, there are very few biographies of someone. There is this sense, like we did Erasmus Darwin, who I think was Charles Darwin's grandfather. We covered him on the podcast. And there isn't a huge amount of stuff, like fish appropriate stuff about him out there. So you, when you get to the recording session, there is a sense of, I wonder if you've got the stuff about him in his dining table or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, it does happen. And when that happens, you just have to immediately pretend the information is completely new yeah. to you. J James, James always has this thing where he goes, oh, I'll race you guys to that fact that I found in that really obscured paper that was published that you need several passwords to get into the actual site. Well, <laughs> mate, we won't have it. It's fine. <laughs> Erase. Needed. Good. Uh, there's a great moment in that I believe it's highlighted in the, the mini documentary that you guys had about you, the Behind the Gills one, where um, Dan and Anna both have a fact about how far is the longest boomerang throw and Dan's trying to get people to guess it but Anna has it in meters and they can't actually convert it properly. <laughs> no she could convert it I had no idea of the conversion. <laughs> yeah. um, that's really that's really I mean I have to say like the other three are proper QI researchers they've they're I'm I'm the outsider really in a way I stopped doing QI research quite a long time ago because I found that I wasn't good enough at it. It was, it's very, it's really hard um, doing QI research and it's really hard to have a broad understanding of so many different disciplines in order to start with some grounding and Andy, Anna and James are very intelligent and most of the things we talk about, they've kind of got a base level stuff, uh, idea of what we're talking about. Whereas for me, it's often completely fresh. I'm like, I have to find out who that queen was like, oh, I just don't even know what period she lived in. I don't know anything about her. Um, so it's really good for me often when we do double up on material because I can see that someone else has it. I'm like, oh, thank God, I can just lob this into the, the air and they can slam it with the actual facts. So that's, that's very useful. That's great. Uh, Seb wanted to know who I don't believe is here, just looking at the names on the, the Zoom, but Seb, uh, asked if you have a favorite fact from the history of no such thing as a fish. Oh man. I got a slightly long one that I really love. Go um, ahead. Andy, do you want to go first or? No, 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 I'm still thinking. 
Okay, cool. Oh, good. So this is a long one. So Andy's got more thinking time. <laughs> um, there's a fact I read ages ago, which is that uh, in 1981, there was an assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan. And he was, I think it was a guy called William Hinckley, and he was, he shot a bullet at the president, and it was heading, they've worked out towards his head. And his uh, Secret Service guard, a guy called Jimmy or Jerry Parr, uh, managed to shove him out of the way. So the bullet missed his head, but it ricocheted off the limo and it lodged in his lung. So this Secret Service agent, Parr, took a decision to shove him into the limo and get him straight to the hospital. I think there was a plan that maybe they would drive back to the White House and he was like, no, we need to get the president to the hospital. So they drive him to the hospital and they save his life. So Reagan's life is saved. And years later, Parr wrote, I think it was in his autobiography, he said the only reason he ever became a secret agent was because when he was nine years old, he went to the cinema with his dad to see a movie called Secret of uh, Code of the Secret Agents, something like that. And it was a movie all about a secret agent who was played by Ronald Reagan. And so the only reason wow. he became an agent was because of Ronald Reagan. And then he ended up saving that guy's life. And I just love that synchronicity. That's I love amazing. It. He basically yeah. saved his own life in a way, which is extraordinary. That's fantastic. Yeah. Andy, well, do, do you, you have one, Andy? Pad that oh. out a bit more. That's, that's my one too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's always, it's always the. Uh, there is, to be honest, there are so many facts. We have a database of them, and there are now about. It's a spreadsheet, and there are about twenty thousand lines in there, um, so it's quite hard to pick. But yeah, I mean, the second ever fa second ever headline fact we did was the one about President Garf, another presidential assassination fact, mm. um, which was oh, you could do a great presidential assassination podcast, actually. Yeah, that would be very interesting because we just did one as well, didn't we, on um, Roosevelt? Or Roosevelt? You did, yeah. 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 No, but the, when um, President Garfield was shot. Uh, he was shot in 1860-something. After that, for the last uh, months of his life, he had to eat everything through his anus. <laughs> yeah. uh, his doctors had him, because he had to lie on his front. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and he had a menu, didn't he? He basically had a menu to yes, pick from. But we don't know which bit of him they held it in front of. <laughs> <laughs> And that, that uh, is an extraordinary, if you were going to time travel to somewhere really interesting, that moment uh, is, is truly interesting. Not the feeding of his anus, but the, the things that happened in that moment, because a lot of inventions, a lot of innovations were happening around him in order to try locate the bullet to help him survive. So early versions of air conditioning were first put into the room ooh, to help it yes. keep cool. Yeah. Alexander Graham Bell came in with the prototype of the metal detector and they ran it over him to see if they could find the bullet but the problem they thought it was broken because it was just going woo, 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 the whole way through and no one had considered the fact that he was laying on a spring bed <laughs> the mattress oh spent. wow yeah yeah, yeah was i have actually been thinking about this since we said that fact why did they need to find the bullet considering that he had been shot i mean <laughs> they, they can see where the bullet had gone no you can't no because they they didn't penetrate to it's like a magic, they're all magic bullets that hit presidents. They end yeah, up somewhere they're not meant to. They would have taken his clothes off, is what I'm saying, and saying, well, he's been shot in the side or in yeah, the Yeah, but no, so but... I don't know why they had Alexander Graham Bell like, standing <laughs> up and down his arms and legs. He probably just <laughs> wanted to show off his new toy. <laughs> no, um, I didn't consider that. But yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a really, that's a really fun 
Yeah, presidential assassinations. That's great. Yeah. I believe uh, Kit, our publicity secretary, had a question. I do. I have one for my dad, I think. Um, if that's all right. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's, a bigger fan, he's a bigger fan of the show than I have. He's been trying to get me to listen for years. So he's very, very excited for doing this. Has he managed um, yet, or are you still, are you still yet? Oh, I've listened, uh, no, I've listened to it now. I've, <laughs> it was a combination of him finally, were, uh, finally convincing me and knowing this was happening. So I have right. listened to it now. Cool. And very much enjoyed it, so he was right. You very elegantly skirted away from saying that he, he I think you were about to say, wearing me down. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so much wearing... Well, no, that, that didn't go unnoticed, and uh, you're very, I very, very, I, very, very I enjoy the podcast now. It just took me a very long time to get round to listening to it. It's all good, it's all good. I'm not an organised person. They're too um, long, aren't they? Way too long. Yeah, they're too long. Oh, <laughs> I, I listen to D&D podcasts. You guys are lovely and short. Oh. Once, you've, once you've done a five-hour episode of something, you guys, <laughs> it's yeah. nice only having an hour to listen to. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, do, you, do either of you have a fact that you really wish had actually turned out to be true, but that you discovered through your research actually wasn't true? Yes. The real reason that the Titanic sank is because so many time <laughs> travellers visited it at the same time that the weight of them all push the boat under the surface of the water. <laughs> Not true, apparently. How much research did it take to find out that was wrong? Uh, I was told on the day by the guys that it was not correct. Because <laughs> you, no, you ended up having that's a John Hodgman on to give that fact, didn't you? Sorry? You, you had John Hodgman give that fact, I think, because you went on yeah. his show and he banned you from doing it, but then he came on and did it himself. Yes, that's right. That was really cool. John Hodgman, if anyone uh, is looking for a fun podcast, Judge John Hodgman is uh, great. And he's a brilliant. His books are phenomenal. The areas of my expertise. I've never read a comedy book like it. The density of jokes and ideas in it are just ridiculous. It's an encyclopedia where everything is made up. It's brilliant. The audiobooks especially are really good because yeah. there's a lot of... Uh, he has... I think Jonathan Colton sitting in the studio with him and then he just occasionally will have a, a chat with him uh, and get live music and stuff like that. It's really great. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, okay. I'll try and think of a real one. Andy, have you got one? There was one that both James and I wanted to do recently um, and it's quite hard to find because the it's been covered in a couple of places in English, but most of the coverage... I think would be in French, um, which we're not fluent in, so it's kind of hard to tell. It's that in the French Parliament, uh, at the end of the room, they have a parliamentary chamber quite like ours. At the end of the room, there is a pair of uh, curtains, quite big curtains. And when a vote is really tight in the French Parliament, sometimes MPs will hide behind it uh, until the last moment, and then they'll burst out <laughs> and swing the vote in their way. But uh, we haven't been able to completely nail that one down yet, which is very annoying. Yeah, that's oh, that, good. that would be amazing. Mm. I've got. I, I've actually. I've remembered one now, which is that um, naming your child, naming your baby after the outlawed Ned Kelly in Australia, has been outlawed, and it's it's a half truth because it's discretion of the person at the registry for whether or not they want to allow you to do it, but it's not officially on a list of band names. And they do have official lists of band names. And uh, it was reported everywhere that that was the case, but I couldn't find a 
bit of paper on the official website that said this list of names. It's not in the public, so I have no idea yeah. how that got released. So I had a bunch of friends in Australia in different states call up a baby registry and say, if I were to name my baby, and they said, we'd have to think about it. But no, it's not outright outlawed. Uh, okay. That was such a shame. That would have been wonderful. That would have been really, really good. Kate, I think you had another question from, from yourself as well. Yes, um, which I can definitely remember. Oh, um, when you have a guest on to the podcast, is that how, how like different is that? Is it a lot of organizing and a lot of research or is it just like having a normal host on but it's just someone you wouldn't usually talk to? It's, uh, it's not too much extra because normally it's someone we know and think is going to be on our wavelength. I, I, don't, I don't think we've ever had someone on who at least one of us doesn't know at least slightly. So you kind of get a sense. One of us will write around to the others saying, uh, hey, uh, Tim Minchin is in town next week. Uh, I've dropped him a line. He might be interested. Do, should we get him on? And then... Um, well, we've been, actually, we've been quite lucky in that respect that people like Tim Minchin were, we've, yeah. we got them on because we found out they loved the show. Tim had been listening to, he basically had listened to every single show. And um, so that was, that was even better because you had someone coming on who completely understood the show, knew, knew all of our dynamics, knew the way that we would say stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have people who are just naturally good without hearing it. Sandy Toxvig, I don't think had ever heard the show before. Uh, Stephen Fry, I don't think had properly listened to it. We, the one person uh, was someone I was desperate to get on in the early days was Simon Rich, who is, I think, the funniest uh, short fiction writer out there uh, at the moment. And he was in town and I, I found out he was in town and we managed to get him on, but none of us had met him until the point that he walked in the room so that, I think that's the one and I'm more in favor of that I'm I'm someone who just thinks let's get anyone on we'll make friends with them let's have half an hour before the show and we'll make friends but yeah. probably rightfully so um the others want it to be someone we have a connection with and so that's what we've done all the way and it's probably the right move I think mine's the selfish move but theirs is probably the better show move yeah so uh one uh, one last question. Uh, I'm going to be self-indulgent from from me. Um, is are there any uh, other podcasts that you guys are particular fans of that you would want to to recommend? Ooh, yeah. I don't think there are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've started listening to Rumble by Michael Moore. Um, Michael Moore for me is a sort of a rediscovery. He was a massive deal when I was a teenager. He did TV Nation and he did Bowling for Columbine and Fahrenheit 9-11. And I was, uh, I don't know if you guys are probably too young to have any Michael Moore sort of um, like cultural impact. At the time when Fahrenheit 9-11 came out, it was, it was unbelievable that a movie like this existed and was exposing what was going on with the presidency and and the Iraq war um, and doing it with comedy, doing it with with satire in a way that no one in America was really doing. And he kind of, uh, it's that thing of uh, that's happened a lot now, particularly with say like Charlie Brooker and stuff like that, where if they stuck to what they were doing, there were so many people now doing the same thing that they that they sort of made the way for. 
that they get lost in the noise. And I think Michael Moore has got lost in the noise. And he's got this new podcast, though, which is sort of attacking the uh, the upcoming election. Um, and it's it's great. It's it's really fun. And he's a you know a lot of people find him controversial, but I I I personally love him. Uh, so Rumble, I, I'm I'm enjoying that at the moment. Can I tweak my answer, please, Joe? Yes. Uh, seem just yeah, it seemed like a bit of a mean spirited answer. Um, <laughs> no, it's all right. There there are two that I like. One which does very long episodes, but they're really good is the Empire Film Podcast because they make really long in depth interviews and the. The two about the mission Impo- the recent Mission Impossible films with Christopher McQuarrie, the director, are so interesting, talking you through the whole kind of crazy process of getting a film made. Uh, and the other one is a cheap one, which it is a cheap because it's a Radio 4 programme, really, but they just released mm-hmm. it as a podcast. But it's so good. It's called The Briefing Room. It's, each episode is about half an hour long. Each week they take one issue whether it, it's one issue that's kind of in the air of the news, but it's not, a, it's not an immediate this week news story. So it might be North Korea's nuclear ambitions, you know, or, you know, the homelessness in the UK. And I'm making it sound a bit dry, but they talk to not politicians, not to people who are trying to kind of argue a case. They're just giving you an overall tour of this area of modern life. And they're telling you about it. It's genuinely informed informing you rather than giving you an argument and it's, it's quite kind of rare and precious for that yeah thank you so much so i think they'll kind of bring us towards the end of the the q a um so where can people find you guys on social media and find out what you're up to and stuff dan is on at tribaland on twitter and he has an instagram and he does a very funny show uh called show us your shit where he gets people on and they show him the kind of cool stuff yeah cool stuff not their actual shit <laughs> and, uh andy's um not on the internet so yeah don't don't bother, <laughs> don't, don't bother uh, at all no you're on at andrew hunter m yep and he's doing a lot of cool um talks at the moment because he wrote a novel which came out at the beginning of this year called the last day which is brilliant and kind of timely because it's a thriller about the world suddenly jutting to a halt so half of the world is enveloped in darkness and the other half is in burning heat of the sun and there's a thin little strip that means life can go on in the rest it's at too many extremes and it just so happens that the uk is in that thin little strip and so it's a sort of novel about how the uk is using its political position to dominate this dying planet and a secret cabal is running it and hopper the lead character says not on my court and she goes and she goes to the mainland having lived on a oil drill a little boat where they just have to find dead people and she goes to the mainland and she goes to libraries and it's 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 three out of five (laughs) (laughs) we don't need to record the whole audiobook just yet no that's fine but yeah thank you guys so much for coming this is really really fantastic um this has been a really really great uh thing and everyone should continue to listen to no such thing as a fish and look at all these guys stuff yeah kit um yeah kit i listened to <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, had, we had our um our podcast club that we do every week this week t- uh, talking about fish and you're dead to me so uh, a bunch of us listened to it and we were chatting about it yesterday as well. 
so I can verify Kit has listened. We can confirm. Um, but yeah, I think that's all of the, the stuff. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Can I say one last thing? Yes, of course, yeah. Just one last thing. Um, so the the big dilemma that Hopper, the protagonist in Andy's oh, book, God. No, 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 no. That person who's trying to get a message to her that there's a problem and a cabal going on is an ex-professor who's a bit lechy and it's a bit of an issue because she doesn't want to have any contact with him and he's dying and that's, that takes up a huge portion of the first bit of the novel because should she meet him? Dan's only run up to page 50. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. We'll definitely have to read The Last Day as well. Thank you for listening to our No Such Thing as a Fish Q&A. If you want to hear us chat to any other shows, let us know. You can follow us on Twitter at Exeter Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast society and subscribe to our podcast feed as well to stay up to date on all the other great shows we're going to be putting out this year. Thank you again for listening and goodbye.